really the goal is 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 to um, raise awareness of how quickly those places are changing and how beautiful they are. And I feel like we hear a lot about the vanishing ice and the rapidly receding glaciers. Over the last few years, we've seen some glaciers lose 100, 200 meters in one year. Hey, Wiki Hunters, welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast, where we share artist journey and show how photography given us hope, purpose, and happiness. And today I'm very excited to have someone who was in the very first episode of this podcast. And I want to have him back because there is a few different things that he has uh, in the horizon, as well as, um, you know, Canadian Rockies in its prime season for wild skating and i think paul ziska is one of the the best capturing those so i really want to chat to him about it i've met paul ziska back in the rockies and it's been such a pleasure to not only follow his journey his adventure but also to to learn from him about the creative process about how to give back to the community and about how to help other photographers so i'm sure you will get a lot of benefit from today well, without further ado, Paul, how's it going? Welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast. Thanks so much, Stanley. It's great to be back. I guess I did okay the first time around because you're, you're having me over again. Uh, always a pleasure chatting with you and connecting with your community. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, like so much has been going on, right? We had uh, We had the pandemic and we had everything that's going on and traveling is opening again but before we started for the listener who haven't really hear about about you and your journey just give us a quick you know cliff note because i know that we the first podcast talk a lot about who you are and stuff like that but just give us a little bit you know a cliff note about who you are so that if they don't if they want to hear more about you they can go to the first podcast for sure. Um, I am a outdoor photographer based out of Banff in the Canadian Rockies, and I shoot pretty much anything outside. I'm interested in adventure photography, astrophotography, uh, travel photography, landscape photography, yeah, wildlife, uh, anything outside works for me. And um, yeah, I've been doing photography full time for Gosh, I guess over 12 years now, probably. And uh, there's nothing else I'd rather do. And yeah, it's that's sort of the gist of it. That's that's where I'm at in my journey. Yeah, if anybody has any questions, they're welcome to reach out or check out that first episode. 100%, yeah. Like, um, you know, when I first moved to Canadian Rockies, I was just starstruck with your, with your photograph, right? Because I feel like your photograph is it's like no other um you know i haven't seen that kind of style the way you use human element in um through your your through your adventures um you know through uh, the ice uh, the winter the summer as well as when you go out through hiking and stuff like that so when you create this image what is your thought process you know what is your creative process that make you come up with all of these images because like I say, it's it's not something that's very common. I, I could say, you know, when I see a, a photo get shared on Nat Geo or, you know, some of the Rockies account, I know exactly that that's your photo because, yeah, no one else have that sort of concept. So how do you create this sort of, uh, what's your thought process to create this awe-inspiring photograph? Uh, that's a good question, Stanley. I think part of it comes down to, uh, to me, there's for me, there's two ways to approach photography. You can approach photography more from a spontaneous, with a more spontaneous approach, or you can plan things out and pre-visualize images and stage things out, if you will, a little bit more. So I think a lot of the photos that um, I guess people just have en ended up associating me with are maybe at the pre-visualized end of the spectrum where an idea will come up in the field, maybe even while um, I might be at a location with the family in the daytime, and then something will sort of 
pop in my mind's eye. You know, it'd be cool to come back at that time of year or at night with a certain person doing this, doing that, when conditions align for a specific type of image. And then uh, sort of make a, a make a wish list of everything that needs to happen and then wait for the conditions to come together, arrange the logistics, and then go create that image, an image that would not be possible to create in a spontaneous fashion because you're just not going to go to a place like that at that time and found some find someone doing that certain thing in that exact <laughs> spot. So some of those images that are more like uh, con that are constructed well ahead of time um, require different approach than those images where, you know, you go to a beautiful place at a time of day where, you know, the light is likely to be nice and you don't really know what you're going to come up with, which I think is most the, the, the approach that most photographers, most outdoor photographers go with is they sort of try to align a whole bunch of ingredients that are likely to yield really cool opportunities, but they don't really know what they're going for when they set out that morning. And I like that approach too. And I try to bounce from one to the other because I find that they really tap into different parts of our creativity. So um, I'll go, I'll go and create more at the spontaneous end of the spectrum for a few outings. And then I'll feel the need to like, sort of plan something out dream up an image that wouldn't happen spontaneously and then try to make it happen. And I just bounce back and forth. And that's sort of been the process for me for gosh, over a decade now. So where, where does all of this inspire inspiration come from? Cause um, you know, some, some of your photograph, um, I know what you mean with, you know, waiting for the right moment. Um, I mean, one of the, the photo that we use for uh, the thumbnail um, for the podcast was, um ice climbing on this beautiful um i think it was a glacier yeah i'm pretty sure it was a glacier and then the aurora right behind it and you know like like you say that things like that is is very difficult to to come by right so <clears throat> where does the inspiration come from you know you kind of share that okay well maybe you're going on an adventure and then you go to this place and like things kind of pop up here and there, right? It's like, oh, that'd be cool to do this and that and this and that. But where does the inspiration come from? Because I know there are a lot of photographers out there, a lot of listeners who are, you know, like, well, it's really easy for you to say, but I, I could never think of it that way. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit where the inspiration come from. For sure. I think it comes from <clears throat> just wanting to keep photography fun and interesting, especially if you've been doing it for a relatively long time. Um, I just get bored doing the same thing over and over again, frankly. And so I feel like I need to, and that's pu purely for myself. That's, you know, where the audience may or may not like the result, but just purely for myself, um, I find that I just get, I just lose interest repeating the same ideas. And I'm sure fellow photographers will relate. Eventually it becomes, um, it's easy to get a little bit robotic with photography and sort of start microwaving the same ideas over and over again. And then it's just, um, yeah, then it, you don't get anywhere on your journey as a photographer because you're not, you're always staying within the realm of what's comfortable. So I think, um, those ideas come out of just wanting to keep photography fun and interesting and, and just to go out there and try to play around with some new ideas. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. But I find that for me, it's the only way to keep photography sustainable is to really just um, get away from what's familiar at least once in a while. Yeah, no, that's that's a great advice. Um, you know, just keep it interesting, keep it fun, keep it you know dynamic, and um, yeah, I, we definitely can see on your photography because um, you live there year in year out, but every year you keep coming out with this new photograph, you know, with a different concept from the same place, right? Um, and um. One thing that I was wondering was like, um, you know, people kind of go through that process and, you know, to try to think about a different way to create different images. And um, when, you know, to have that condition all lined up, it's very difficult to come by, right? So how do you, 
like I'm just wondering like how do you go after that moment because I I know moment like that you know can be difficult um do you just like drop everything when that moment come or you know because life happened right life happened everything's you know it's it would be nice if all we have we have in our life is just adventure and we can go anytime anywhere um whenever we want but that's not in that's not the reality so how do you make things happen when a rare condition you know like the aurora lining up with uh, the composition that you want or uh, the frozen lake at a certain point um you know at, at a critical point before the snow fall on it and ruin the whole um um surface how do you chase after those moments i would say yeah you looking at social media you you'd be you know, I can see how people think you're looking at each other's accounts that everyone's always in a position where they can drop everything and go. It's just not true. Uh, I'm sure for myself and other people, I've got a wife, two little girls and, um, you know, other life commitments. And I'm just not able to chase absolutely everything that uh, I would ideally chase. But I think um, I'm very, very fortunate that my wife is very, very supportive of what I do. And so, and she understands that some of the conditions rely on phenomena that are fickle, right? That you don't, you can't really plan a couple weeks ahead uh, with wild ice or Aurora or things like that, that are time sensitive and that are hard to read and that are very, very dynamic. And so, Um, I've been very fortunate that ever since I began in this field that my wife has encouraged me to just drop everything and go at least, you know, within the realm of what's reasonable. If conditions align for an image that I'm excited about and I'm home and I'm able to rearrange the schedule or, um, you know, or we just take a rain check on something we had planned and do it the next day instead, then it's, I've had the flexibility to do that. And I think for, yeah, I think, you know, just to expand on that, I think for anyone who's in a relationship and wants to really pursue photography seriously, um, I mean, we'll talk about the ingredients that make that possible. And I think one of the ingredients that is sort of, that's not talked about enough is just having support from your from your friends from your family to just go out there and get after it when uh when things are when the timing works out so i've been i've had an amazing circle of support since the beginning and that's been huge for me no that's yeah that's that's a really good point you know being able to find people that support you in your journey Mm -hmm. and um yeah i'm glad that you're able to do that because you know some of your photos just absolutely incredible like um you you. know people kind of look at it and just think how did you even like know that's gonna happen you know and (laughs) i'm sure you know there is a lot of uncertainties goes with it as well but you you take that chance you go out there anyway and you know you'll get rewarded by this um this beautiful phenomenon, um, one way or another. So, and I think Stanley, just to, mm-hmm. just to add one thing to that, I think it, a lot of it comes with, um, being very familiar with the playground that you operate in, right? Like, because I get, you know, when I travel, I get what I can. I don't know how to read the desert or the ocean the way that I know how to read the Rockies, having lived here for fifteen plus years and having kept a close eye on why do these things happen? What set of conditions lead to those phenomena to happen? And being able to just anticipate a little bit, whereas I get totally thrown off in an environment that I'm not familiar with. So I think a lot of it comes down to really knowing your subject, really, really trying to get to know your subject as best as you can. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, you know, I um I learned a lot from you when um when I met you and chat about the the condition in the Rockies, and that really helped me to kind of predict and understand what what could happen and what uh what when to go and you know when to wait. So, I think that's a really good advice. Now, you know, 
it's been gosh i don't know about two years i think about a year and a half to two years since i have you last in the podcast so i know you have some project coming up i know that travel open up again so what exciting project i know what it is but you know i just wanted to introduce it what exciting project have you got in the horizon at the moment for sure. My, my big project, uh, and it's going to be a project that spans several years. So I'm going like, I'm diving really headfirst into this. It's called cryophilia, which means an affinity for cold places, which I've always had, but, and I've always been drawn to shooting ice and snow and the high latitudes and cold places in winter. But now I'm going to do that with quite a bit more effort and intention and, and really really target that part, um, that field of photography. Uh, and really, there's two purposes to the project. One of them is to document um, how dynamic those places are, speaking more specifically about glaciers. So I'm fortunate that I live within, you know, you've lived here. So I live within, if I left the house now, within a couple hours, I can be at five different glaciers looking at how they change, how they've changed since last time, marveling at the features that are on display that are always, always different. So one of the purposes is documenting the changes in the ice, uh, both locally and abroad as well. And the other purpose is to document just purely the aesthetics, the incredible beauty of those rapidly changing places that are glaciated areas. So uh, that's a project that, in a way, I started many, many years ago, but now I'm really, that's got a lot more purpose to it now, a lot more direction. And the idea is that it would culminate in a book and an exhibit maybe three or four years down the road. A lot of the details remain to be determined. But for now, really, the goal is is, is to um, raise awareness of how quickly those places are changing and how beautiful they are. And I feel like we hear a lot about the vanishing ice and the rapidly receding glaciers. And a lot of people have a scientific approach to um, how they demonstrate that. And I think that's wonderful, but I'm not going to pretend I'm a scientist. I'm an artist. And I think I can contribute the best way that I can contribute to the conversation is really showcasing the changes and the aesthetics of those absolutely incredible places. So that's where I really want to focus. Let other people do the talk around the science. And I, I've got, I'm fortunate. I spent a lot of, a lot of time close to that ice on that ice on the side under that ice. And so that's where I can bring something new to the conversation. Yeah. Um, I think that's really great. You know, I love, I love the cost behind it. And for, you know, for someone like me who never been, who never lived in, in winter places like Canadian Rockies until I was there, it was a big eye opening, right? Um, the fact that glaciers doesn't usually last more than a year, that usually by the time the summer comes, it, you know, it gets too warm and most, most likely it's going to crumble. Um, the fact that the glacier actually receding at, uh, I think you told me about, 15 10 to 15 meter a year you know that's just mind-blowing right and for most people who are living in tropical country for example or in 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 australia where there is no um direct access and see the uh, to see this we we don't feel the the climate change as much right mm -hmm. but when it comes to ice you know zero i stay intact one degree it started to melt all it takes is just one uh, degree difference to 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 melt the the ice so um i love the project that you're doing and i think i think it's really cool to to be able to show that because yes the scientific approach is great but a lot of people are visual right so just being able to show that and see the difference i think that can um tell a lot tell a story a lot of story behind that now <clears throat> and i think i think also just to add one thing to that stanley i think you know there's there's a lot of fatigue um that i think there's a lot of fatigue with the scientific argument right now right like people 
whether we like it or not, I think people are tired to have numbers thrown at them. And, I, and sometimes I find that where, where other methods can fail perhaps to reach people, photography, because it's so visual, can really, really um, help people connect with an environment or a cause. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like I, I, that, that's why I feel like I've, I'm, so, I'm so drawn to um, showcasing those places for people. And we're, you know, and, and in a way, it's almost like um, as someone who lives, who has a camera and lives really close to those places, it sort of feels that I owe it to the rest of the world to go out and document those places. And the changes have been astonishing. Like we are seeing um, over the last few years, we've seen some glaciers lose um, 100, 200 meters in one year. So we're talking about changes that are happening like on, on human timescales. We're not talking about stuff that happens over hundreds or millions of years. This you can go to the Athabasca Glacier, the Dome Glacier, from one year to another, it'll feel like a completely different place. It's happening very, very quickly here in the Rockies. Yeah, no, that's that's really sad. And um, I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, like we often say seeing is believing. And, you know, sometimes having the number backing up with, you know, the photo can really make a big difference. And hopefully more people are aware about this. Now, I find it interesting, right? <clears throat> I mean, we kind of, you know, have a, a chat about this before the podcast, but people like warm. People go to Bali because they enjoy the warm, the tropical, but you chase after the winter, you know, the uh, ice skate, when um, the wild skate. So where does that passion come from? Do you actually enjoy the winter or is it, do you like to go out there because, um, it's just so beautiful. Um, it's is is there one or the other, or is it does it complement both? I I do really like winter. Frankly, I find it's a little bit long here in the Rockies. Like I find that I absolutely love November, December, January. By the time you know when April rolls around and you're still getting snowed on, I start to look forward to summer adventures. To be totally honest with you, but I find that winter just brings along with it so many elements of magic like um like the 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 ice the snow um just i love the silence of winter so it's not just not just the visual appeal of winter but i love the silence just there's less people here in the park for one um you can go to those iconic locations uh and have a more more of a solitary experience but also a lot of the sounds are muffled in the winter. You you just go out on a windless day in the winter and just sit there and you can literally hear the silence, right? Like you don't hear anything at all. And that's not something that's possible in the summer. Um, I find that the landscape is all, um, is, is simplified. It's a lot more, um, there's a lot less clutter. And so I think like photograph uh, photographically, I think that makes for a very different experience than does the summer. And so I think winter has so, so much to offer. Being able to shoot stars at 5 p.m. is pretty awesome. Not having to wait till midnight as an astrophotographer is quite nice. And um, yeah, I, I, I love the winter activities. I love documenting people enjoying winter whether it's on skis or ice climbing or on skates and so yeah there's there's so much that appeals to me about the winter especially here in the mountains and uh, there i would just gladly swap one month of winter for 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 an extra month of summer but for the most part i'm a big winter lover for sure yeah no that's uh you know wind, like you said the winter just bring the magic in um in canadian rockies and yeah. you know the snow the snow tops uh it, it just makes it absolutely different right um <clears throat> now i know that you you like to wander you like to explore you like to look for new places and um you know from what you say it's what keeps things interesting because you keep looking for the new thing keep things dynamic now when it comes to winter, it's, you know, the atmosphere, um, especially in Canadian Rockies can become 
very extreme and and yet you from time to time again you would go you know solo exploring these things now uh, just take us through like what goes into your head and what you know what what makes you want to go out there during these extreme conditions i find that a lot of the magic in photography happens on the edge of extreme conditions sometimes right in, in the middle of extreme conditions but typically on the edge of weather systems on the edge of those nasty periods of weather is when you'll find the unusual in the landscape where I, I, especially if you go to places that you've been to hundreds of times i'm as i'm sure you know and you have those places and all your listeners have those places close to where they live you know that you can show up at a place that you've shot three four hundred times and you feel like unless mother nature gives you a little something to work with, you're kind of out of ideas. Like you feel like you've, you've experimented, you've done it all. You've shot it from a variety of perspectives. So then I find that you, you, you're kind of maybe in a way forced to rely on weather a little bit and go out in uh, dynamic weather, basically. So I find for me in the winter, um it's not it's not hard to find dynamic weather in the rockies you see it coming three four days ahead of time in the forecast and you can plan around it and rearrange the schedule and so much of the magic happens when um yeah there's a, a front moving in or a front has just moved out and, or the winds are high and uh, that's when you can go to those iconic locations and see them in a way you've never seen them before and uh, so I, I feel very much compelled to go out when the weather is, you know, a little bit more harsh, I suppose. But now that the gear is so good, both the photo gear, the clothing, the apparel, there's no really reason to not be comfortable out there. There's a way that you can shoot in pretty much any kind of condition in relative comfort if you're prepared and if you have the proper gear. And so I find that Less and less, as photographers, we can use weather as an excuse, really, to not go out there and and try to catch the the uh, the edge of that uh, those weather systems. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. You know, when you, it's important to to have the right gear because uh, it can make or break the experience. Um, and yeah, I love I love um, you know how you share that um, that passion of yours and um, pushing you know, the, the, the comfort zone, because like you say, that's, that's when things kind of happen and interesting things happen. So, you know, um, hopefully listeners are out there are, you know, taking notes. If you want to create something unique, go out there when no one else goes out there. So that, that's incredible. Now, For sure. you know, and I think the- it's been, I think it's, you know, it's something that you hear all the time in photography circles, right? Get out of your comfort zone, get out. Of, and it starts to get repetitive, of course, but I don't know how else to put it. I mean, it's so it's so important. And I think especially in the age of social media, where it's very, very easy to go and recreate similar images over and over again that will automatically please a large audience. But for you as a photographer, they don't really get you anywhere because you can shoot them with your eyes closed pretty much, right? They're very comfortable to you. And, you know, these are the settings and this is the composition. And I go to a beautiful place at sunrise and I can shoot something that will, you know, gather mass appeal for sure. But I think you can't keep photography sustainable that way. You have to just please yourself first. And I don't know how you can please yourself first if you just repeat the same ideas i mean everybody goes through a period of just learning and perfecting their technique and emulating the work of other people i think that's totally normal uh, as on your journey as a photographer but eventually i find that everybody will hit that wall sooner or later where photography just gets boring if you keep doing the same things over and over again it's the same in all aspects of life it just gets monotone after a while so um i think just if only purely for yourself, eventually you just have to find ways to innovate. And that just requires trying new things and getting away from what comes easy to you. No, that's 100% um, you know, true. And it's interesting that you say that because um, I feel like for you know photographers who are already in it for a long time, that phrase get repeated a lot, right? Create something different, create something new. 
um, go outside of your comfort zone. But when I first started photography, I wish I had listened to, you know, what you just said, because I never heard that phrase, you know, um, it, it's, it's so common um, that people go, like you say, the emulation is, it's more popular where people just go to the popular places, right? Take uh, at a popular time so that they get that popular play uh, shot and um, get that, um, what do you call it? Adoption from, from the, the social media user, right? But over time, I think people, that's, that's when people kind of start um, to, to realize. So um, honestly, when I first started photography, I wish I had heard that a lot sooner. So it's really good that you mentioned that, um, you know, hopefully uh, listeners out there who are in their photography journey can take inspiration from that. Now, when it comes to, um, you know, your project, uh, Cryophilia, and you have been to a lot of different places, um, you know, Canadian Rockies being the most predominant, but also um, Greenland, uh, Nepal, Iceland, Antarctica. Is there any place, any, any, um, any favorite place um, or any favorite moment from those adventure that, you know, if, you, if I were to ask you, you know, what was the top, you know, experience from all of these places? Is there any one experience that literally just pop up your head and yes, this was it. And if there was one, what is it? There's a clear destination that comes to mind for sure. And that would be Greenland, hands down. I, I've always said, you know, if you force me to move outside of Canada, that's where you'll find me in Greenland somewhere. Um, my, I don't know if my wife would be very happy to relocate to Greenland, but as far as photography goes, for me, it's the ultimate playground. And it's uh, the, the landscape is just vast and wild and um, just sense of freedom that you get wandering around Greenland is just incredible. There's so, so much to, to offer to the artist. Uh, it's it's very powerful, magnetic place, just like the Rockies. Um, and it's becoming more and more popular for a reason. There's nowhere else like it that I know of. It's it's reunites a lot of the elements that I find the most exhilarating to shoot in photography, like ice and aurora. And so for me, it's it's really a place that I'm just so thankful whenever I get to just set foot on Greenland and walk around a little bit and document that place. It's next level for me. I've had many of my most memorable experience of photography uh, have happened in Greenland with the icebergs on the glaciers on the ice sheet or under under northern lights the people are wonderful as well i love the cultural um the cultural aspect of greenland i love how people make a go of it in one of the world's most inhospitable places and so yeah for me i think it's the clear the clear standout location as far as where i've been uh, outside the rockies is clearly greenland just phenomenal Wow. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, when I see your photo and, um, you know, when, um, when you tell me about, you know, what's, what's where to go and what to look for in Greenland, it become top of my bucket list to go. So a hundred percent, you know, it's, it's just so beautiful. Now, something interesting that you mentioned earlier, you know, like, um, you love Greenland for, uh, one of the reasons why you love Greenland is the, the playground for photography. Um, you know, the different dynamic, the different ingredients, um, I suppose, that you could find from that place. Now, when you look for destinations or adventures or places to go, what is your main driver that makes you want to go to those certain places? Is it mainly driven by photography or is there other experiences that you look for from these different destinations? I look, I think, for the wilderness first and foremost. I, I look for places that, um, yeah, that offer a lot of space and a lot of, um, you know, that are pretty low density in terms of population. And so that the main thing that I look for is just nature, really. And so the, the, that's the reason that I went to Greenland in the first place. And 
you know, Mongolia and those other parts of the world where very, very few people live. Um, and then, so that's first and foremost. Secondly would be, yeah, of course, as a photographer, I think just the aesthetic aspect. What What is there? Um, there's always something. When, wherever you have nature, there's something wonderful to shoot. I'm very much drawn to the high latitudes and really big empty places. I like, I like emptiness and remoteness. And I think, so those are other things that I look for in destinations, especially now, you know, that the world is reopening to travel, maybe try to get into those places that have such, that are so, so special that it's only a matter of time before they become a little bit more mainstream. So while I still have that sense of adventure and the mobility, trying to get to those places that require maybe a bit more physical effort to get into. So that's another aspect that I look at as well. Great uh, question. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, I would have thought ice was um, going to be on the top of a buckle, uh, on top of that list. <laughs> well, you know, what I think what tends to happen is the places that reunite all of those factors tend to be the high latitudes, right? Where not a lot of people live that are wild, that are beautiful, that are hard to get to. There's, there's, there's some that are, you know, at, at, in other parts of the world, but a lot of high latitude locations meet all those criteria, which is why you'll find me often at the high latitudes. No, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, um, I think one of the inspiration for me to go to a more difficult places in the Rockies was that principle, you know, um, when you, when you kind of say like, well, you know, like Rockies have everything, you know, if it's too busy, just go further and higher and you got less and less people as you yeah. go further and higher. And yeah. I love that, you know, cause, um, I mean, there, there, there are time for everything, right? There are time where you just want to have that the sidewalk, um, car park sort of spot and just, you know, enjoy just being out there. And there are times where you want to feel that sense of adventure and you don't want to be, you know, feel, uh, go to a place that filled with millions and millions of people. And uh, actually it's, yeah, it's one of the things that I miss about Rockies because here in Indonesia, even, you know, the, the highest, the higher mountains or volcanoes is pretty accessible that we still line, you know, line up. It's like a traffic jam. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's something that's easy to take for granted for sure. I think, and and like you said, you know, I'm I, I'm I sound like all I do is stuff that gets me away from people and away from the road, but it's not true at all. You know, I I love I love roadside photography as well, and I don't always have a full day or multi days to commit to getting away from people. And so sometimes I'm very thankful that in a place like Banff National Park, even I have a, even if I have a two hour window to shoot, well, I can go out, go out with Lake Louise with everybody else and still witness a scene that is really beautiful and see what I can come up with, with the camera. Uh, it's, it's like you said, there, there is a time for everything and it's just, it's uh, frankly, it's nice to not have to just, you know, drag all that stuff on your back for kilometers before you take a photo. It's nice to do a bit of a bit of both. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah. you know, I think it goes back to what you say earlier. It's about the dynamic, just keeping things fresh, interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's that's really cool. Now, when it comes to a high latitude and you know, like all these back countries places, um, extreme condition. You just mentioned that those are the, the ingredients to create something unique, right? That's the biggest opportunity. Because sure, you can go to Lake Louise and find a crazy condition. I think one time I had like a thunderstorm passing through that and it was like, you know, incredible, but it's very difficult to find moments like that, right? So all of these new places that are harder to get to, harder condition, um, give you a lot more opportunity. Now, what are... Can you share with us some of your biggest challenges um, to to go to some of those places and reach to 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 those places and create, I suppose, a, a piece of art, a photograph that 
you know, that that's not only uh, a whiteout, <laughs> you know, because sometimes when the snow is just a whiteout. Um, so how do you, how do you, you know, what are the challenges and how do you push past those challenges? That's a really good question. I think the main challenge, uh, one of the main challenges anyways, I think would just be time management, right? When you go out in those places and you've got to look after yourself, you've got to maybe pitch the tent and cook and see the scene through the camera, but also without the camera. And so you may need to make sure you go home with an experience as well as the photos. It's trying to constantly, your brain's on overdrive, trying to constantly rearrange the schedule so that you can accomplish all of that. And, and the more that we shoot, and I'm sure everybody here will relate. The more you shoot, the more you realize that good photography typically takes time. It takes commitment. You get lucky with an image on the fly once in a while, but most of the stronger images that we all have, the more that we shoot, they require us just committing that 10, 20, 30 minutes plus to one shot if we're really excited about a possibility. So it's trying to find time for all that in the wilderness when the weather is not that great sometimes. That's that's the main challenge for me is trying to get really good at time management and really trying to trying to really just assess every scene, every possibility in terms of the return of investment on investment, if you will. You know, like this is a shot that does this shot warrant 20 minutes of my time? It's a great shot. But at the same time, it would be worth it if it was like a one minute investment. But if it's 20, 30 minutes, then it doesn't really quite meet that ROI threshold that I've set for myself. So sort of trying to assess the scenes that way, you know, and then you find a shot that you're really, really excited about that does warrant, you know, 30 minutes. And sometimes there's a shot that, yeah, I'll put the pack down for one minute. It's not an amazing shot, but for a one minute investment, it's worth shooting. So trying to always like assess, assess the different scenes, different possibilities that way, I think is, is one of the main challenges for sure. And another challenge, the other main challenge I can think of, I think is just, and goes along with that is just being adaptable. I think the best photographers that I know are very, very adaptable photographers. They respond very quickly to the stimuli around them. They they are very quick at bailing on an idea if it's not working out. If the conditions are not conducive to a certain image, they will quickly turn around and they won't just ton get tunnel vision into wasting 20, 30 minutes on an idea that's never going to happen. They are very, very quick thinking and they adapt to um, the, the dynamic conditions, dynamic environment very, very well as, as we should as photographers. We work with a subject that's ever changing, especially you know, working in mountain environments and rapidly changing weather. It makes no sense to have to stick to one approach. You have to just keep adapting. So I think that's another one of the challenges out there. And I call it a challenge because I, I, sometimes I do very well at it and sometimes not so much. I get I spend way too much time working on ideas that are never going to lead to anything in hindsight. And so I think being adaptable and managing your time properly so that you can go home with the images, the experience, and still, you know, um, look after your basic needs out there at the same time. That is incredible advices. Um, you know, I think I, I'd never heard, um, you know, those points, um, being, being told that way. And, um, the the time management especially i know we kind of have that running in our mind when you're out there but when you say it out loud and when you you know put it that way um i become more conscious about about it now you know and i think that's a really great point um thanks a lot for sharing that paul um it's um it's it's a, a great piece of advice now you know, you you do a lot of workshop, right? And um, you, you've been taking photography for a long time, and you have a lot of thoughtful, thoughtful approach to to photography. And I, I think that's why um, you I feel that like you are such a great um, mentor because of that. Now, 
you have a few kind of like photography trips. You also do like a, a virtual mentoring as well as um, I think a mentorship that you just open up as well. Now, I'm I'm curious, you know, um, out of those whole thing, um, what are some of the different aspects that most photographers are missing in their in in their photography journey that make a whole lot different to to their photography? Oh wow, that's an awesome question. And I think one of the in a way I think a lot of what and I think that comes down to like it's the same same question as asking, you know, what 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 takes a photographer from like good to great or photo from good to great. I'm not saying, I'm not saying like I'm great and I've got it all figured out, but just looking at other people's work that surround me, the other people I shoot with and I'd admire what takes them to the next level. And I always come back to the intangibles. And what I mean by that is like everybody sooner or later will have the math figured out behind photography, right? Like this is what I do with, this is what I do with the shutter speed, the ISO, the aperture. Eventually that becomes second nature to everyone. Some people pick it up in one day and other people pick it up in five years, but eventually you get that under control. You don't even think about it. In a way, same thing with the composition. Composition, I think, is very mathematical. You know, it's it's a, the way that you rearrange the geometry and the shot. Uh, in a way, it's not it's not quite as sort of um, academic, or I suppose like it's not it's a bit more intuitive, I suppose, than the exposure triangle. But it's still kind of like something that becomes second nature a little bit after a while. What takes people to the next level. And what a lot of people are struggling with, I think is commitment and intention. And I think by commitment, I mean, through doing mentorship and workshops, I think a lot of people are just like, they, they really want to take the photography to the next level or they want to make a business out of it. But when you dig a little bit, you realize, they're not that ready to make sacrifices. And I think it's like, that's like everything in life. You can't, eventually you have to make sacrifices to move on to the next level. Once you know all the math, once you know your camera and sat and out, you know how to assess good light, good opportunities out there. I think, and, and you have you have your vision, you even have your style of photography. I think eventually you have to make sacrifices and you have to really commit. You have to want it more badly than everybody else i think especially if you want to run a business right so i think that's something that something that i find what, through mentorship workshop that people are missing the other thing is intention is i think just really working with purpose to tell your story as clearly as you can knowing what you want to say with the camera and being very intentional working with a lot of direction, a lot of purpose, and being very deliberate about all, about all the micro decisions that go into making a photograph. Why, why do you do everything that you do that leads to a photo? I think you look at the photographs that great photographers take and you notice that they breathe a lot of intention. Oh, I see why he or she did that. That's clever. I love that they did this with the composition. I love that they chose those settings. They chose to, um, you know, use a filter or this lens over that lens. Everything is done for a reason, I think. And I love to see that in other people's photographs. And those are the harder things to teach, I think. Like as someone who does a lot of teaching and mentoring, it's not hard to show people the exposure triangle or even composition. Those things can be taught, but trying to get people to work with commitment and intention that's the real challenge i think as as someone who likes to teach is really really trying to get people to um work on those aspects those more intangible aspects of photography wow you elaborate that so eloquently i love it um <laughs> and i totally love it uh it's 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 very true you know it's a you know um i mean 
people think like shooting manual is so hard it's not like it's it's a it's it's a three-step process <laughs> you know it's not that hard and it's only up or down you know if one goes up the other goes down it, it's not that hard and even um i love how you say even the composition can be ma mathematical after a while can be rigid because there is a formula to it but the thing that makes a big difference is that consideration how do you mix between your gear and the settings and the composition and putting that together? And yeah, I, I, I love that perspective. And um, man, that was uh, that was a really, really great advice. Um, thanks a lot for sharing that, Paul. And um, yeah, it's it, it's one of the reasons why I, I want you back here. Um, you know, you have a, a perspective that no one else have. You know, it's always... Um, I, it's always a big eye opener when I listen to you and your your advice and your um your wisdom. So, uh, that that's really great. That's really great. See, I'm I'm out of I'm out of words here. <laughs> I'm glad. No, I'm glad. I'm glad you can. Uh, I'm glad you connect with that. I figure. I figure you would. You know, I I think. I I think a lot of people, um, and I see that in workshops because people. I'll go over to someone hunched over a tripod and say, what are you working on? And their settings are perfect. The composition is could be very good, but um, they still feel like they still feel like they're missing something, right? And sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it. And sometimes it's just, yeah, just just working with direction and intention and making sure that. Um, you going home with the most compelling rendition of the story that you can get. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, we're coming to the hour mark and I know you have another commitment after this. So I want to try to keep it within the, you know, the hour. Now, one last question that I have uh, for you is, so for the listeners, you know, you, this, this advice that you just gave, I think that is one of the, the most important thing in photography, right? Now, like you say, it's really hard to get there because it's not, it's not tangible. It's not, you know, there, there are no formula to it. So for the listeners out there, for the photographers who feel like, okay, I got composition, you know, I know my composition, I know my techniques, uh, my settings, I know my camera, I know my post-processing, but it's just like it's it's never wow it's just like it's great it's good but it's not wow right so uh, what advice would you give to those people um what sort of exercise or how can they approach photography differently so that they can apply what you just um um you know what you just say earlier on your um wisdom to their photography Two things. I think um, look at the photography, look at a lot of photography and look at the photographs of people you admire. Look at what they do. And instead of scrolling past 500 shots a day, when you see a shot that stops you in your tracks, just take like five minutes to really deconstruct it and think about why it makes you feel a certain way and why it's so impactful to you and why it works so well. And sometimes it takes a while to figure out what's going on behind the scenes and the mechanics of it. But once you once you figure it out and you get used to analyzing images from other people that way, I think you can get so much out of it. So once you see an image that you really, really like, that you find is really powerful, Take time to stop and try to list out in your mind, what did they do that is just so cool? Try to put your finger on it, on what's the wow factor, what's the, 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 the intangible in that image or the tangible. It could be the composition, the choice of settings, but what is it that makes that image so compelling? The other thing that I would highly recommend people do is just getting out with people that they may, uh, that, that people, get out with people that, you admire get get up with people whose work you respect and see how they go about approaching a scene and just see even though you guys all went to the same location at the same time just 
pay close attention to what they come up with when they post five, 10 days down the road and just make a mental note. And I think that will really impact the way that you assess the scene the next time you go out. And I'm not saying just start emulating your friends, but just like nobody works in a vacuum, right? Pick and choose ingredients from other people's strategies that you really like to form your own sort of approach to photography. So get out with other people who see the world differently. We all have a different view of the world. We all work differently as artists. And uh, look at a lot of photography that you really like. And instead of like hitting like and moving on, deconstruct why that image works so well for you. That is great advice. And I love how you say, you know, um, um, be you, you know, like um, everyone is different. Um, and you could use the same exact techniques, same exact in, in, in the same exact shot. And I feel like that's what makes your photography very unique, very different, because, you know, um, you put a lot of you, you, you tie a lot of this landscape photography with your passion with hockey, for example, with wild eyes, with your love for um, going to um, extreme temperature, extreme places, looking for that unique, um, unique conditions. And that's, that's what make it different. So I think that is such a great advice that you share there. Um, and yeah, we're just very grateful to, you know, hear all of this wisdom from you. So Paul, um, it's been a great, you know, having a, having you back here, having another com a conversation with you. Um, so let us know a little bit, where does cryophilia go from here? And let the audience know if they do want to find out about this project or about your workshop, what is the best way to um, get in touch? For sure. I think... Um... The website might be a good starting point. It's just my last name, Ziska.ca, because then from there, you can quickly hop over to the Cryophilia project, or you can check out the workshops or the latest work, etc. You can have sort of everything in one place. Otherwise, um, we have separate social media accounts for the Cryophilia project, so it's easy to find on Instagram and, and Facebook, everywhere you would expect. Um yeah, so I would say just hop on the website and take a look and see if you, um, hopefully you like what you see. And uh, yeah, I'm always, you know, I'm easy to find online, always looking forward to connecting with fellow photographers. And I uh, really, really want to thank you, Stanley, for just the, um, just the work that you put in preparing, I think, for these types of podcasts, because they have, you know, the questions are always very thoughtful and the conversations have always been great. So I'm really, really thankful for the experience. Uh, you are welcome. And um, a little bit, um, you know, behind the scene uh, fact, I actually don't prepare a lot from this. I I, I just being curious because, you know, being curious make me ask this weird question that is interesting. Well, you're, I, I you're, think... you're, that's, I think that's a great skill to have as a, as an interviewer, I think it's just Thank seeing you. where the conversation leads and taking it in the most interesting possible, most interesting direction possible. And so you've uh, definitely developed that skill. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with your project, um, how can we get involved? And, you know, for people who, who want to get involved or for people who want to support your project, what is the best way to contribute or to get involved with them, with your project? I would say just for, I would say just providing feedback, uh, providing feedback. How do the images make you feel? Um, you know, as you start maybe following along on one of the accounts, let me know how the images make you feel. Other people read the comments, things feed into one another. I think just trying to generate that conversation around the images is great. There's a lot of talk about and a lot of arguing about the science and the numbers and the math and the, and the statistics. Uh, and those conversations in a way are already happening, which is fantastic. But there's a lot of fatigue, like I said, relating to those conversations. And so if you have some feedback that pertain to more like more of the visual 
then I'd love to hear it. That is, that is, I think that's great, you know, because, um, different things appeal to different people so exactly. yeah if you if you have anything um if, if when you go to um the social media and uh, the website if there is anything that you can think of if there's anything that speak to you more than the other please do let paul know um you know so that he can take that and do more of that and you know think about what other ways he can do to you know reach more people so that is fantastic thank you so much for doing this um you know i think this project is so important um, when I when I go to Rockies and start exploring the ice cave, it is such a heartbreaking fact to to know that. Geez, like in I'm getting goosebumps right now. But in in about ten years, a lot of that would would go away, right? And it's it's really sad. It's really sad that a lot of the icebergs gonna break off and you know melt it with the rest of the water. So, yeah, um, I. I um, admire you for doing this and I, I love that you're doing this. All right. Well, um, Wiki Hunters, hopefully you get a lot of benefit, a lot of wisdom, and hopefully you take a lot of notes from there. Um, you know, these are some of the advices that you would pay hundreds of dollars if you want to um, work directly with Paul Ziska and you're getting it free here. So. <laughs> Thank you very much for doing that, Paul. Um, but yeah, with that being said, um, thank you for my for thank you very much for listening in. Um, if you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button. And we do appreciate any feedback coming from you. So leave a review on uh, in um, Apple Podcasts or even email us. You know, if you do enjoy this, um, it would mean a lot. Well, Paul Zizka, thank you very much for being here again, for sharing your um, your project, as well as for, you know, giving us all this wisdom and advices on how we can move forward, but also how we can find hope, purpose and happiness through our photography. It was such a pleasure, Stanley. Thank you. Fantastic. All right, Wikianters, I'll see you guys next week. Keep shooting and keep creating.